and 17. We're in John 17, verses 12, verses 13 to 19 this morning. And we're going to see Jesus continuing to pray for specifically his disciples and then also by implication and extension us. Verse 20 is the key. When he gets to verse 20, he says, I pray also for those who will hear. That's you and I. So he's praying for us in John chapter 17. And as we said last week, we, we saw he began to pray for his disciples and he prayed for their protection. He prayed that, that the Father would guard their unity. He prayed that the Father would guard them. This morning we're going to see him continue to pray for believers, continue to pray for his disciples. He's going to pray for four things specifically. He's going to pray and ask the Father to sustain them in the world. This is key. He does not ask the Father to take us out of the world, but to keep us in and through our trials and tribulations. That's important, especially in our day and age where we live right now. He's then going to ask that they be filled with his joy, that the Father give them his identity, his peace, and his joy. And then thirdly, something Dr. Burnett mentioned he asks and prays that the Father sanctify them or set them apart as holy. Make them distinct. Make them stand apart. And then lastly, we'll see this morning, all for the purpose of sending us, sending the disciples, sending us into the world. So those are our four points that we'll see this morning. Let's look at this first one, sustain them in the text here. We're going to start with verses 14 and 15, and we'll come back to verse 13. But let's look at 14 and 15 uh, to begin with, he says, I have given them your word, and the wor- world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, we said throughout John chapter 17, it's important for us to listen not only to what Jesus prays, because he's praying for us, for disciples, and for us. But also we learn how we can pray for ourselves and for one another. So what Jesus prays is important. It's essential in this text. It ought to bring encouragement to us. But it also, in this text, we learn how we can pray. In verse 14 and 15, Jesus is saying again that disciples are going to enter the world. He's already said it in chapter 15, chapter 16, and he now prays it yet again. They're going to enter the world and they're going to face two formidable foes. The world and the evil one. The world and the evil one. The world, Jesus has already said, will hate disciples of Jesus. Will oppose disciples of Jesus. Will persecute disciples of Jesus. In chapter 16 he said they will even kick you out of the centers of life, synagogues, and they will also attempt to kill you thinking they're doing a service to God. So Jesus is acknowledging in his prayer, I know that I am leaving, they remain behind, and they remain in a hostile world. Now, just a quick recap, why does the world despise Christianity? Why does the world oppose Christians? Why does Jesus know this will happen? Because we are now out of sync with the world. We are the wobbly tire on the car. We are distinct from the world, and it will draw attention, and it will draw persecution, because we don't go along with the practices of the world. We don't go along with the practices of the world in our marriages. The way that we operate in marriage is totally different in 
marriage from the world. We, we don't go along singles in the way that we operate in our sexuality and our relationships the same way that the world does. We don't go along with the world in the way that we practice business. We don't go along with the world in the way that we practice ethics. We will draw distinct, we will look distinct and we will draw the attention because of our distinction. Jesus knows this and Jesus has already prayed in the previous verses last week that we saw and then here again in verse 14, I know that they will remain in the world and they will be distinct from the world and they will receive the persecution of the world. Therefore, Father, protect them. But he prays something even more specific. He knows that behind the attacks of the world is an evil one, the father of lies. Jesus has already said this earlier in in John, that, that the enemy, Satan, is the father of lies, and he prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour he, in John chapter 10, he, he steals, kills, and destroys. He longs and loves to crush and to maim and to distract and to destroy followers of Christ. And so in, in, in here, in verse 15, Jesus prays, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Keep them, keep them, keep them. This is a a word that's used four times in this text, in, in verses 6 down to verse 19, this is a word that's a key theme in this prayer. This word keep, it comes from the Greek word tero, and it means to keep in view, or to keep watch over, or to guard, or to protect, or to preserve, or to hold fast to something. Jesus is asking the Father to bring all of his attention, all of his power, all of his authority to watching over his disciples, his children. Now this is important. Remember, in John chapter 1, Jesus, uh, John tells us that all who believe and receive are given the right to become what? Children of God. What is Jesus praying here? But Father, protect your children. Guard your children. This is a key theme throughout this text. In in verse 6, he says the, the disciples have kept your word. In other words, they received it and they clung to it. They aligned their lives to your word. In verses 11, 12, and 15, Jesus turns and says, Holy Father, keep them now, just as I have kept them. And then he says in verse 15, Keep them from the enemy. In every sense, Jesus is asking the Father to watch over his children. Now, let me, let me illustrate this this way. If you and I, if, if I were at a coffee shop and I needed to go use the restroom or go take care of something else and I had my computer out and I said to you, hey, will you watch my computer while I go step away? You would, you would probably say, sure, that's, that's not that big a deal. Okay, sure, I'll watch it. And I'd step away and I'd come back. Now, if I asked you to watch my two-year-old, that'd be a lot different. Not only am I asking you to take care of something that's very near and dear to my heart, but you might respond differently. You might keep your eye on the two-year-old that's throwing things around the store that we're in, wherever we're at. And, and you might, you know, say, you know, come on, stop that. But it's totally different, me asking you to watch my two-year-old than me watching my two-year-old, her father. You're going to keep an eye, you're going to, you're going to look every once in a while at her. She's our first child. I'm never going to take my eyes off of her. You guys know, those of you that have been first child parents, first child parents, 
They're a little crazy, right? And so we stare, we watch, and we, we jump, we leap, we, we gasp at every move. We don't want them to skin their knees or bump their noggins or any of that kind of stuff. And here's, don't miss what Jesus is asking here. Because even my protection of my two-year-old is insufficient. I'll never be there in time. I'll never catch her just at the right moment. Always. I, I, I won't be able to save her from every single thing. But Jesus is asking an all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe to protect his own children. You said, why does Jesus need to ask a sovereign God to protect his own children? Isn't he already going to do that? Remember what Jesus is doing in John chapter 17. He's praying so the disciples hear this. He's praying so the disciples hear. Your heavenly Father is watching over you, is protecting you, is guarding you. He will be there for you. He will always come through for you. So not only is he praying this for them, he's praying it so they hear it. And we're learning something about prayer as we hear this. We're learning how we can pray for others. Father, you control everything in the universe. Bring all that power to bear on my friend's life, on my life. You know everything. You know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, years in the future. You know everything. Use that wisdom to guard, to protect, to guide, to instruct me. You're ever-present. You never slumber. You never sleep. Keep your eye on me. Keep your eye on my family. Keep your eye on my friend. This is what Jesus is praying. This is how we can learn to pray. I don't want us to miss, though. He goes a step further. He's praying for protection specifically from the evil one. Jesus knows that behind the attacks of the world are really the attacks of an evil one, Satan. John, 1 John 5, 19, the entire world, John says, is under the authority or power of the evil one. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that, that the God, little g, God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He, there is an authority of power that's at play, a spiritual realm at play that is behind the attacks that happen on believers. And Jesus is praying that the Father protect his children from that evil one. Now here's what's really interesting is the, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. It's translated into Greek and that's called the Septuagint. And in the Old Testament translation of Job, there is a word that's used there that's the same word that's being used in this text for keep. In the Old Testament, it's translated as hedge. And in the Old Testament, do you remember the story of Job when Satan comes about from a roaming about and he he and God says where have you been and what are you doing and have you considered my servant Job Satan responds to him of course he worships you you have placed a hedge around him you keep him take the hedge down and let's see what he does and of course to the beauty and the glory of God Job remains faithful despite the hedge being taken down, despite God allowing. But the point is that Satan cannot attack what is God's, under the authority of God's. This is exactly what John says in 1 John 5, 18. Everyone who is of faith, everyone who is in Christ, is protected. 
Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, that, that, the, that God is faithful, the Lord is faithful to protect his own. And so this is what Jesus is praying here. Here's the thing, and I've referenced this book multiple times, Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. The entire premise of the book is summed up in this quote here. Satan has snares for the wise and snares for the simple. Snares for hypocrites and snares for the upright. Snares for generous souls and snares for timorous. And, and those two things, I think, are so fitting. One, when he says generous, he's not talking about giving things away. He's talking about confident. And the other means nervous. Those who are confident, God's going to come through all the time. And those who are nervous and not sure, Satan has snares for both. Snares for the rich and snares for the poor. Snares for the age and snares for youth. Happy are those souls that are not taken and held in the snares that he has laid. The entire premise of Thomas Brooks' book is that Satan knows the lure that you are most tempted by. The entire thing that Jesus is praying in verse 14 and 15 is let them see the hook, Father. Don't let them bite the bait. Don't let them take the bait. Don't let them be ensnared. Don't let them be attacked. Let them see the truth through the bait. Let them see the hook. And again, one more crucial thing that's in these verses here that we have to understand is Jesus does not pray, and this is crucial, he does not pray, take them out of the world. He, in fact, he says in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's not asking that we be removed from our circumstances. This is important. He's not asking that we be removed from suffering. He's not asking that we be removed from attack, but that we be sustained through attack, through suffering, in and through tribulation and trials and affliction. This is, this is so important for us to understand. Jesus knows exactly where the disciples are headed. They're headed into a hostile world, and they will be attacked by the enemy. And he's not praying, take them out, but sustain them through. And we'll see why down in verse 18. But what's important for us to understand now is that his primary concern is not that we avoid suffering or persecution, but that we know the nearness of God and his sustaining power through suffering and persecution. That we learn in the midst of trial and affliction. That we draw near to God. Most of us, when we hit affliction, when we hit trials, when we hit suffering, when we pray, most of us, we pray felt needs. And, and at the top of our list, many of us, especially those that worship comfort and safety and security, we, we, we say, please, Lord, don't let me suffer. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to struggle. I don't want to face trials. Or, or tr and, and Jesus is not saying that. He's saying that we know the nearness of God in the midst. When we encounter suffering and struggle, often what we do is, God, take this from me. Give me a new set of circumstances. Instead of recognizing, you know, in that very moment what you're doing is pleading and crying out to God, that's how you're supposed to live your life. And that trial, that affliction is used to bring you to that point. And that's what Jesus is praying here. We don't have time to go on, but you could look at Luke 22 and, and, and Jesus' prayer for Simon Peter. He prays the exact same thing. Satan has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you. I'll let you guys go study. That's that homework for you guys later. 
So Paul prays this same thing in Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Colossians. He doesn't pray for a change of circumstances. He prays that they know the nearness and the riches of God's grace through whatever trial or circumstance they're facing. Does this sound like your prayers? Does this sound like how we regularly pray? Do we pray, God, I'm facing this trial. Sustain me in it. Sustain me through it. Give me your enabling power through it. My, my peer, my friend, my family member is suffering. I certainly, it's not wrong to ask. It's not, Paul tells us, bring all of our requests, all of our cares. We just did a whole series on bringing our cares to God. So it's not wrong to ask it, but do we miss the point sometimes by saying, change the circumstances instead of teach me through this. Help me know you better, more intimately through it. This is what Jesus is praying here. The second thing that Jesus prays and asks is that we be filled with his joy. Now we back up to verse 13 to see this. In verse 13 he says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Now why did we start with 14, 15 and back up to 13? Because 13 is sandwiched between the same types of requests. Before 13... In verses 10, 11, and 12, Jesus asked that we be protected and that we be guarded. After 13, he asked that we be protected and that we be guarded. In both contexts, they sustain them, Father, with your enabling power. In the middle of those verses is verse 13. Fill them with my joy. Fill them with my joy. Now, this is a radically different type of thing that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. He's talking about identity. And he says it by saying, my joy. Give them my identity. Now, what is Jesus' joy? What is his identity? What is it that he has that he's praying that the disciples and thereby you and I know and understand? He has the full acceptance of the Father. He knows the full joy of being accepted by the Father, of, no, of being known as and understood as the beloved Son. He knows the full affection, the full protection, the full care. That He knows that God is going to answer his prayers, the Father is going to answer his prayers. He has no doubt in his mind that the Father loves him and wants him and cherishes him and, and will listen and, 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 and respond to him. Jesus is praying that you know that same confidence. Do you know, do you have the confidence that the Father, the God of the universe is for you, wants you, embraces you, loves you, cherishes you, delights in protecting and providing for you? Jesus is praying that we know that. Now don't miss, this is so essential. Remember the context. Where are the disciples going? Into a hostile world where the world will hate them, where the enemy will attack them, where at every turn everyone will say, you are worthless. The enemy will say, you are worthless. God could never love you. God could never want you. God could never care for you. What is Jesus praying in this moment? Not true. May they know. May they be with absolute certainty. No. Father, that you are for them, that you want them, that you care for them and love them. This is what Jesus is praying here. Now, what I love is that he prays this, this way. He says in verse 13, I speak 
but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. That word fulfilled means full. It's the same thing he says in John 15, 11. What Jesus is saying is, God, cram them, stuff them full to overflowing with your affection and your love, that they may know full to overflowing, that there's no room for doubt, there's no room for question that you're for them and love them and want them. This is remarkable. And again, not only do we learn what Jesus prays, but also how to pray. Is this how you pray? Is this how you pray for others? Heavenly Father, may they know the fulfillment the satisfaction that can only be found in you. May they see the treasures of this world as empty and fleeting and worthless and secondary at best to you. May they know the full acceptance that you extend towards them in Jesus, through Jesus. This would be a great place for us, families, for us to really have a conversation with our kids about what is the difference between the joy that Jesus is praying for here and happiness. The joy that Jesus offers and the happiness the world offers, they're radically different. One is fleeting, one is, goes up and down with the rise and t- of the tide, of the emotions, of the circumstances, and one is steady and steadfast through it all. That would be a great point for us to talk with our families about this afternoon. The third thing that Jesus prays, and this is what Dr. Burnett mentioned a second ago, is that The Father would not only protect, unite, guard, fill them, but also now sanctify them. Sanctify them. This is is an interesting word. Sanctify them. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To be sanctified is to be set apart. Specifically, it's it's to be set apart for holy, distinct purposes or unto God. Set them apart unto you. What's he praying? He's praying, make them distinct. So here's the thing. He's not praying, justify them. Justification is where we receive the legal new identity as sons and daughters of God. It's the, it's the adoption day. It's when the judge says, you are the child of so-and-so. That's, that's justification. He's not praying justify them. They already have a new identity. They've believed. They've received. That's the entire first few verses of 6 down to 12. He's praying sanctify them. Father, they have a new identity. Make it more and more true. Make it more and more visible. Make them more and more distinct. Further and further distinct from the world. They are radically different because of their new identity. Now fan the flames of it. Make it come to full fruition. Make it visible to the world to see. This is what he's praying here. Now here's what's amazing. Notice the tool by which we are sanctified or made further and further distinct from the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Here's what's interesting about this. If you follow the flow of thought, in verse 8, Jesus says, I have given them the words that you gave me, the instruction that you gave me, the revelation about who you are, Father. I've given that to them. And then he says, and they've received it. And now he's saying, now sanctify them by it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I gave them your word, they received it as truth, now, Father, further set them apart, further refine them, further purify them 
by your word. By your word. He doesn't say sanctify them by experience. Make them distinct by emotional highs. Make them distinct by YouTube videos. Make them distinct by social media feeds. Oh, feed them on Facebook, Father. That's what they need to be further and further distinct from the world. Feed them on more conspiracy theories, Father. That's what they need to be distinct from the world. No. Sanctify them by the word, by your word. Not by experience, not by the wisdom of the world, not by social media. Sanctify them by truth, the truth of your word. And there's a reason that he makes these requests. Protect and sustain them, fill them with my identity, guard them from the enemy, set them apart, fan the flame on their identity and their relationship to me, make them further and further distinct. Why? Verse 18. Because we are sending them into the world, for the world. We're out of step with the world, we're not of the world, and Jesus says, make it more so. Why? Sanctification always has a purpose. This is important for us to understand. The primary purpose of sanctification, of the, of the ongoing Christian life and, 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 and pursuit of holiness is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul says that, Romans 8, 29. But... There is another purpose, a secondary purpose. It's to be distinct from the world for the world. Because we are sent as missionaries into the world. To our families, to our co-workers, to our community, to the world. We are sent as distinct followers of Christ into the world to call others out of the world so that they become distinct followers of Christ. And this is what Jesus is praying here. He made it clear in verse 15 that he's not asking believers to be taken out of the world. We have to ask the question, why? But be sustained in it. In verses 16 and 17, he says that he wants them to grow further and further distinct from the world through further and further conformity to the truth of God's word. In verse 18, he makes it abundantly clear why. He's asking the Father, set the disciples and believers apart, make them more and more distinct by the truth of your word. Bring their lives in line with your word and walking according to your word. Make them so radically different. Make them an enigma in the world. Why? Verses 20 down to 26. So that those who see and hear their testimony will believe that you, or Jesus, is the Son of God. Jesus is praying all of this so that those who will believe will turn and worship him through our testimony, through the enigma of our lives, through the distinction of our lives. And this is what he's praying. Now, as we wrap up, as we conclude, how is it that Jesus, I want you to think, I want to ask some questions here. How is it I think this is so amazing and so mind-blowing as you walk back through the text now, backwards through the text. How is it that Jesus can pray for sinful men and ask the Father to set them apart to God, unto God as holy? How is it that he can pray for sinful men 
and ask God to set them apart as holy? How is it that Jesus can, can pray, Father, send these men, send these believers into the world as messengers of a holy Savior? How is it that he can pray, fill them with my identity, give them my peace, give them my joy, give them the full assurance of the Father's acceptance? How is that even possible? How is it that we can be secure from the enemy's attacks and know it and walk in confidence because of it? How is it that we can be truly unified, something we talked about last week? How how is it that we can actually be unified? Walking in lockstep together. How is it that we can be safe in the arms of God? It's only by and because of verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That word consecrate means the same thing as sanctify. And for their sake, I set myself apart. What is Jesus saying here in verse 19? He is the answer. He is the means of actually having and knowing the full acceptance and the full favor of God. Of actually having and knowing and experiencing the full embrace of the God of the universe. The protection and the assurance that comes with that. He is the means. He is the reason. He is the, the, the means by which we can be guarded and protected and sustained. And have power to resist sin. Only because he was set apart for us so that we could be set apart to him. This is the good news of the gospel in verse 19. This is the amazing news of the gospel. Jesus is praying for us. This is what he's sharing with us. I consecrate myself. This is amazing. So this text, we've talked about it, is called the high priestly prayer. Every year, the high priest would walk into the temple, as Jack mentioned last week, three times, and he would lay his hand on the sacrifice, and he would say, I consecrate this sacrifice for myself, because I'm a sinner, and for the people. But what does Jesus pray here? And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I'm the high priest. I'm pure and spotless. I'm also the sacrifice, and I lay my life down for their sake. And that's the only means by which we can know any of the peace, any of the joy, any of the hope, any of the guarding that Jesus prays here. And it's beautiful and amazing. And my prayer for us is that you would know that joy, that you would know that assurance that you would know that guarding and that protection. That you would know that sustaining power and that resisting power. And that you would know it through Jesus who, for your sake, set himself apart on the cross so that you and I, who were far from God, could be brought in and set apart unto him for the sake of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Every single one of these points could have been four different sermons. 
there's probably some in here who think that we just preached four sermons. May we not miss the beauty and the glory and the promise of your word that you will keep us. Lord, there there are many in this room who, who are doubtful of their salvation, who worry, who fear, who don't know. First John was written to give assurance. Jesus prays in this text that we have assurance. That we would know with absolute certainty the, the protecting, guarding, holding fast love of the Father. May that be true of every single person listening online, watching online, or listening today. May we know the assurance. And how do we have that assurance? It's not by might. It's not by right. It's not by anything that we bring. It's only because you set yourself apart for us. You died on the cross for us. You became the sacrifice we desperately needed. You lived the perfect life and died the perfectly obedient death in order to give us your righteousness and here you're praying that we would that, that that new identity would be fanned into flame may that be so for us this morning may that be so for Mars Hill may our families may our community see us as an enigma so distinct not because we're trying harder but because we're growing in your word in obedience and conformity to your word. May it be so. Lord, as we sing this song, may we hear the words. May we, may we sing the confidence of these words. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.